Okay, we're going, I guess. We're recording. Okay. So, um, today we're going to be talking about Nightbreed. And uh, I suppose you could introduce yourself. Okay. Um, I'm Troutface. Troutface? I'll, I'll go with Troutface for this episode. Okay. So, um, for those who aren't in the know, Nightbreed is a dark fantasy horror film released in 1990, directed by Clive Barker. The film was based on Barker's 1988 novel, Cabal, or Cable, as I've pronounced it in the past. And it revolves around a group of monstrous creatures known as the Nightbreed. So what are your, what are your first thoughts about, about it? I listened to Cabal on Audible yeah. uh, a few years ago. And this is um, a situation where I prefer the movie to the book. Not that I dislike the book. Yeah. Um, I think the strength that the movie has is that questions that might pop up aren't really that distracting. I just feel like I'm going along for the ride, whereas I'll have questions about the world in the book or not really understand how the rules work, and that yeah. distracts me. So I like that. That there's a story unfolding and I don't and I can ignore my questions more easily. Yeah, the the story follows a character named Aaron Boone, played by Craig Schaefer, a troubled young man who is haunted by dreams of a hidden world inhabited by bizarre and monstrous creatures. Convinced that he's a serial killer, Boone seeks the help of a psychiatrist named Dr. Decker, played by David Cronenberg who manipulates him into thinking he's responsible for a series of gruesome murders. Boone eventually discovers the existence of Midian, an underground city where the Nightbreed reside, and he becomes embroiled in a conflict between humans and the Nightbreed. So what were your thoughts on, you know, those story elements? There's, um, well, there's themes of intolerance, so... Yeah. Um... You know, the Nightbreed is forced into seclusion because humans compulsively kill them. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really go into detail on that. It seems like it's almost a natural law that humans will... Um, Fear them because we don't understand them. Yeah, it's kind of like the X-Men yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, too, because, well, in addition to that, they also have superpowers because they're monsters or whatever. Yeah, and they... Um, I like the way that the movie portrays it, it. This is a hint, but there's kind of a culture, the the drawings on the wall, um, the way things look inside their um, abode really yeah. creates a sense of like culture. And I could see going there as having a cultural shock, but it works really well for the movie because it lets the viewer suspend their disbelief and get a little deeper into the story, a little more invested. That's true. And you know, the, the Nightbreed are a diverse group of creatures with unique appearances and abilities and personalities as well. You know, they have distinct characteristics and they're portrayed as sympathetic beings who, well, I mean, for the most part, there are a couple of them who are more villainous, uh, but they mostly long for acceptance and understanding despite being feared and persecuted by humanity. And, you know, as Boone uncovers his true nature as one of the Nightbreed, he becomes entangled in a battle for survival against the humans who hunt them. 
and also who hunt himself. So w what's what's your thought or what's your thinking on, you know, Boone entering this battle? Oh, so this is a common, not to not to get too academic, but this is kind of a common exposition device where yeah. um, a character that's an outsider becomes an insider, and this allows the audience to go from being outsiders to insiders with him. That's so I, I think it's very well done. Yeah. That um, it's done and it it's done in an artistic style, and it's um, I think it has a lot of relatable qualities. I think a lot of people at some point in their life feel some kind of identity crisis and they turn to someone they view as an expert, which might be like yeah. a parent or teacher. In this case, it's a psychiatrist um, to help them understand their identity crisis. And um, so I like that it's so relatable, even though it's also quite bizarre. And Nightbreed explores themes of otherness, identity, and the duality of human nature. And it has elements of horror, fantasy, and supernatural things that are really typical to the Clive Barker universe. You know, that's sort of his fashion, his approach. And I would say the film incorporates Barker's signature and dark atmospheric style with grotesque creature designs and visually stunning set pieces. So what are your thoughts on those designs and, you know, the scenery? Yeah, um... It kind of reminded me of the movie uh, with Howie Mandel and Fred Savage, Little Monsters. Yeah, I still haven't out... seen that. Oh, okay, that, that came out, I think, one or two years before Nightbreed. Yeah. But it's kind of like there's monsters that live in this um, like underground abode. Um, my favorite scene in the movie is when Anne Bobby, who plays Laurie Winston, when Lori's going in, when she goes to look for Boone in the in the cemetery crypt, um, she's walking around, and there's all these different odd things going on with the Nightbreed. They're living their lives, and you kind of see them in like just their natural behaviors. Yeah, she um, encounters that dying critter in the sunlight, yeah. and she uh, basically rescues it, and that's how she. Or that's partly how she gets into the area known as Midian, is that she actually immediately has a sort of heroic trait that they respect. Yeah, they even... Um, she asked the elder um, something like, I just saved this child's life. Don't I get something? Yeah. And the elder... <laughs> The elder said something to the effect of the child's not alive, but what she has is yours if you want it. That is the law. And and I like Lori's response. She's like, no, I don't want that. She just really <laughs> wants to find Aaron Boone. So I, I kind of like that there's that cultural miscommunication because it makes it more real. It adds yeah. a very nice verisimilitude to the scene. Well, there, there's also this this aspect where the Nightbreed have sort of a traditional way of their own and that it doesn't always necessarily make sense and that Boone is immediately clashing with that because he's sort of the new arrival. Yeah. Yeah, because if you see, like, everyone's first reaction to him, there's the um, 
the moon-faced. I don't know, look, it reminds me of the McDonald's late night tonight commercials where they had these <laughs> moon-faced critters yeah. driving cars. This would have been early 90s. Um, the moon-faced guy captures him, and then there's this other nightbreed person that wants to eat him. And they talk about how it's breaking the law, but they might not, they might break the law anyway to make an exception. So their response, that community's response to Boone changes so much in the movie. Because he basically becomes like a savior figure at the end. Yeah. Even even that one guy, I don't remember his name, but he's like, he's the one who first bites Boone and yeah. sort of marks him. But yeah. he even comes around toward the end and he's like, okay, you're the one. Basically, he's like the Neo character, I guess. Yeah, the Neo character or the RoboCop or <laughs> the returning yeah. Superman or Spock or one of the Christ-like figures of cinema. Yeah. So Reborn. on its initial release, Nightbreed received mixed reviews and achieved only moderate success at the box office. However, it has since gained a cult following and it, it's often regarded as an underrated gem among horror enthusiasts. So what what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think it's underrated? I do. Um, one thing I'd also like to point out is there's a, a role-playing game like Dungeons & Dragons made by a company called Palladium that made a game known as Nightbane, which is basically the same premise as Nightbreed, where you oh. play these super-powered monsters that are shunned by society. Hmm. Boy, I never heard of that one. Oh, yeah, but it's not... I don't think it's a real well-known company. Not a lot of people... It's certainly not as popular as Dungeons & Dragons, but it's very similar. Yeah. So it's it's sort it's almost like a mockbuster. <laughs> Only uh, yeah. this movie wasn't necessarily like a blockbuster. I don't think it did terribly at them. It might have even made a profit. But it, I, I think it was only a little bit successful. Yeah. So uh, when you watched this uh, just today, did you see the uh, heavily edited studio version or the director's cut, also known as the Cabal cut? Uh, this would have been the heavily edited studio version. Okay. I just watched it on the most convenient streaming service. Tubi? <laughs> uh, came through Freebie. Oh, that's where I saw it too. Yeah, but the uh, the the original is different from the uh, Cabal cut, which was released in two thousand fourteen, and that supposedly restored much of Barker's original vision. So, um, you mentioned the other ways in which Nightbreed has been influential, but I, have you any? experience with the uh other media forms like apparently there's been some comic books and novels and they all further explored the mythology and characters introduced in this story i haven't um just familiar with night bane which seems like a an inspired offshoot with a whole different set of rules and the the premise of that story is there's this Nightbane creatures don't die. And there's this mysterious moment, I think, where it stays night for 24 hours. And this mysterious moment makes a lot of people become Nightbane spontaneously. Hmm. Um, 
Well, and apparently uh, enough, when you mentioned that, that also reminds me of the X-Men, the, the very first movie, because part of that story is that I think uh, was a Magneto trying to uh, sort of change everyone into a mutant or something like that? Yeah, with Cerebro, and then Senator Kelly becomes that, like, blob postural yeah. thing that he kind of just dissolves. Yeah. So it would have ended up being a destruction of humanity, basically. Yeah, which I think Magneto would have been okay with. Yeah. So in this storyline, you know, Boone is tested in many different ways, and there's a sense that he is different from most humans and his curiosity about the other side becomes increasingly difficult to control. So do you, do you think there's like a taboo element to the story? Like, because he wants to explore a suppressed world and stuff like that. Yeah, I could see that. Um, like I, I've worked with a lot of people that in therapy that when they feel angry, like any even small signs of anger can create an overreaction from people around them, like in their family. If anger is a really taboo thing to have, that so people become kind of phobic of their own anger, yeah. And and then there'll become a point where in therapy they really dive into it, and it seems like I see a parallel process with Boone kind of really diving into this otherness or not really being a part of. The culture he thought he was a part of yeah i i do i do also like the premise of being under the care of an evil doctor or let's just say a specialist in unconventional treatments so oddly enough we didn't talk about decker much yet so what, what are your thoughts about him uh, i really do like david cronenberg cronenberg um yeah he seems like a pretty fly guy uh, i thought his performance was good where it was creepy and intimidating but there are also moments where he seemed really like someone you could open up to where he had like a gentleness about him yeah well that's you know again i think the duality of the character which is what a lot of this movie is about and yeah. i i do have to mention that his mask is creepy as hell yeah, I do like the mask. Um, it's such a simple design, but it works really well. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I think, I think the actors do a pretty good job in this movie. And uh, even in moments where it's over the top, it just kind of fits anyway. Yeah, I. Um, there's this moment with uh, Doctor Decker where he's in a. I think it's a gas station. <laughs> yeah, and he ties up the gas station attendant and starts interrogating him about the location of the Nightbreed. Yeah, and he asks the attendant, um, "Why do you know so much about them?" And the attendant says, "Because I wanted to be with them, or I wanted yeah. to be one of them." And then the attendant asks, "Why do you hate them so much? Did they kick you out?" And I thought that was an interesting question. Yeah. Because <laughs> Because um, Decker might not feel like he can really survive in either world, and so he wants to destroy the one he can't be a part of. Maybe, yeah. Well, he also has this sort of rant against 
exterminating breeders or like killing families off or whatever. Yeah. So I think he's just he just hates life. Yeah. But he, like maybe he became a doctor to sort of justify and rationalize it, you know, wearing a professional sort of mask. Yeah, because the world definitely reacts to you very differently if you're a doctor. Yeah. And and he obviously has his own ways of manipulating people and turning them against each other. Yeah, he does use some classic narcissistic abusive techniques like gaslighting, trying to get people yeah. to doubt their own perceptions. Or he does do the double bind where um, the options that he presents you with are both wrong or both going to lead to punishment or whatever he wants. Oh, yeah, and he also gave Boone some drugs that uh, rendered him apparently senseless, and he wanders in front of a truck and nearly gets hit and dies. <laughs> There's yeah. that, too. Yeah. That would be a rather unfortunate thing to have your doctor uh, do to you. Yeah, like a chemically-induced gaslighting to make you think yeah. that you're more sick than you really are, some kind of insidious... Like Munchausen's. Yeah. There's there's also a a hint of a monster falling in love sort of story here. A bit like the fly, perhaps, because there is you know the monstrous element of Boone that's uh developing inside of him, but he's still in love with you know the character of Lori. So I'm wondering what are your thoughts on that? Did it remind you of like the fly or anything like that? Yeah, I could see that. Um, romance with a monster. There's some elements from the fly. Um, there's also something with um, like Boone's monstrous, I don't monstrous hidden identity yeah. is also the part that makes him special and the savior. So maybe there's something with. Like a, I don't know if this is an overt message, but something with trusting yourself or being okay with being weird, like being yeah. okay with going against the grain, because that will let you connect to your highest potential, as opposed to trying to be a conformist. And in a pretty literal sense, that's yeah. how he knows he has this power because he he sort of embraces the uh, the dream in order to control it and. He, he seeks out his own reality, which is obviously represented by Midian. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the monsters have these weird powers, and it reminds me a bit of the X-Men, as we mentioned earlier. So there's like a... I, I do wonder how that works, you know, because are they shifting the, mo the molecules of the environment, even if only for a few moments, so they can become smoke or something like that like there's that one character who oh, can yeah. basically become smoke yeah yeah that's a good point there's another rule that i didn't really understand because so some people are clearly born in the night breed what was yeah. it about boone that led him transform as an adult into the night breed was he like put up for adoption or you know <laughs> something know. like that like, how does he know. have these powers suddenly and spontaneously? But I don't think it, it that question's be... important in the movie either. 
And it might be just that his mind was, he was of a certain mind that he would naturally fit in or something like that. I'm not sure. To me, it almost seems like he's sort of a blending of the human world and the monster world or something. Yeah. It's a bit like, you know, the Netflix show Castlevania. I don't know if you've seen that, but the character value card is both vampire and human so i think oh. that's a that's another sort of trope yeah like that. blade yeah where where a character becomes more interesting if they're sort of a blend of two different worlds and yeah. i suppose that's true of you know like regular life too don't people don't people stand out more if they're not just of a singular identity like you if they're multicultural in some way or something like that. Yeah. I think, um, people that are too engrossed in like whatever area they're from, sometimes it, there's like a homogenizing effect. So all the people that are rallying to attack the cemetery, um, seem like they've just kind of always been in that area. And well, so, they're also rednecks, you know. Yeah, like a lot of rednecks, redneck types, and obviously a lot of the villains are like in the law enforcement aspect of it. Yeah, and this this might be my own projection, but I can't help but to wonder that they think that killing the Nightbreed will somehow protect their freedom, but the Nightbreed have existed there for a long time and didn't really threaten their freedom to begin with. Yeah. There are definitely some parallels there, aren't there? Like, yeah. uh, and you have to wonder what kind of, I guess, conspiracy theory kind of things such townspeople would have about the Nightbreed. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess, is there anything else you have to offer up on this? Yeah, I suppose it's worth mentioning that like or I guess reiterating something you'd said earlier about some of the Nightbreed are villainous. Um, yeah. So maybe that makes the Nightbreed that gives the Nightbreed something in common with humanity that there are some that are villainous and some that want to be left alone. Tis true. Yeah, and Tis some true. that want to just lash out. Yeah, I think I think that part of the uh you know the story is about just making us recognize that even though, you know, foreign people and foreign ideas might seem scary, once we become sort of familiar with them, you know, we start to realize that we're not necessarily different that much after all. And yeah. of course, that's another message that you can find in the X-Men as well, <laughs> going back to that. Yeah, yeah, because our moments for Senator Kelly, Kelly is more reasonable. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think we have discussed this thoroughly enough. Um, so I think we're going to hop right into the next episode and, you know, talk about the other topic. Okay. So um, I, I hope, uh, hope you're strapped in and ready to go. Yeah, I'm ready. Up. Do you right, need so to I'm stop this recording and we're going to oh. start recording the next one. Okay.